Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. You know, we're going to miss out on the debunking this week. There's not really oh, any no. debunking in this. What? I know, okay, I'm we lied. sorry. <laughs> we lied. This one doesn't have debunking. I, who knew? Who knew? I mean, I suppose there's a tiny bit, but not really, because it wasn't... Is it debunking if it's already well-known to be not true? Is that really debunking? Maybe. If it's already well-established? I didn't do the work. Some people don't know what's well-established, though. I mean... So for them, it might be debunking. It's pretty obvious. Like, it's... it's well, we'll see when we get there. We can, we can argue about it then. TBD. TBD. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm curious. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, we're okay. So we're doing something a little different this week, um, oh. because you know I I we talk about our cryptids, our hauntings, our moidas. Uh, I thought we moidas. would mix it up. <laughs> it's still a fairly morbid tale. Don't worry. But uh, it's it. You know I gotta say this hit me in the feels. Oh, when I. Yeah, when I was doing the research, I I actually had to pause a few times because I was getting really emotional reading about it. The so, cold dead heart had emotions? I know, I don't know what's happening. I should get it checked out. That might mean something's wrong with it if it's like starting to beat again a little bit. Uh <laughs> But yeah, we're we're mixing it up today, and instead of murder, uh, there is a little bit of a ghost story we'll talk about at the end. But Ooh. we're going to be talking about Floyd Collins. Floyd, Floyd, and if you've never heard of Floyd Collins, don't worry, you're going to get uh, kind of the full scoop right now. William Floyd Collins was born on July twentieth of eighteen eighty seven to Leonidas, known as Lee Collins. And Martha Jane Burnett in Logan Ooh. County, Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. Is this our first Kentucky case to we're my talking knowledge, about? Yeah. I, I, think. I We should keep a chart, though. I kind of want to hit all the states at some point. Is that going to be like our, our spooky, spooky world chart of like all the locations where we've done hauntings? It wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, like, we're going to be kind of unnaturally balanced the Pacific Northwest so far, but uh, I that's appreciate true, that we've. True. Yeah, I appreciate we've hit Kentucky. So this region of Kentucky is well known for a specific cave system, Ooh. the Mammoth Cave, which is actually the longest cave system known in the world. It's like 415 miles of passageways. Holy shit. Right? <laughs> uh, according to legend, Europeans first discovered it and i you know quotes around europeans because uh the 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 ancient people in the area had known about it but europeans first discovered it sometime in the late 1700s but valentine simmons he was the guy that registered the land started using the cave for its saltpeter reserves Ooh. saltpeter for anyone who does not know uh it's used for preserving food but more importantly it's used in the making of gunpowder. Oh. Yeah, that's a thing, right? So uh, sure. now at this time, too, people did not realize that it was a series of interconnected passages and caves, right? That it was a whole cave system. They thought it was a lot of, of isolated caves. Not everybody thought this way, though. In fact, Floyd was one of the people who believed that all of them were somehow interconnected and it was one big massive system. 
1816, Mammoth Caves were being used uh, as a tourist attraction. They had like guided tours and it was a really, isn't that cool? Well, and it was a really profitable tourist attraction. Uh, But of course, anytime something becomes profitable, conflict starts. So whoever owns the land where the entrance is, right? Mm -hmm. They own the access to the caves. Sure. So if I am an entrepreneur, Oh. And I'm saying to myself, yes, I would like uh, I would like to have my own access to this cave because it seems like they're making a lot of money. What do I do? I make a new entrance. <laughs> Which is what oil driller George Morrison did in 1921. Oh. So you've got people competing with access. You've got tours. And it becomes this like really competitive thing. Like each group, they're putting up misleading signs. They're employing fake policemen to try to divert people to their own attraction. And they're going as far as like burning down ticket stands. And it was, it got really, really nasty. And this time they referred to it as the Kentucky cave wars. So Floyd grows up smack in the middle of this, right? He's one of eight children in total. Uh, Not all of the children survived to adulthood. He's raised in a deeply religious household. His father was a Baptist fundamentalist. Oh, fun. Uh, Grew up on a farm, like most families in the area. They had about 200 acres. Uh, He helped to work and maintain it. But even at a young age, he had caving in his blood. As early as six years old, he wandered off on his own to investigate a nearby cave system this is something his family would tell stories about later on. Uh, he'd mm-hmm. get to school late because he was checking out a cave. Which, can I you mean. imagine, like, oh, why, why are you late to school today, Floyd? I was in the caves. I was in a cave. I mean, it is kind of a good excuse, because what if you get lost in a cave? <gasps> Funny you should say that. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, well, I mean, part of exploring caves is getting lost in them, right? So uh, yeah. hold on to that thought. Uh, he didn't do awesome in school. He was not really one for book learning and only completed school as far as the fifth grade. But he was a natural at navigating caves. So in 1910, he was 14 years old. This geologist from New York paid him $2 a day to help guide him around Mammoth Cave. And they worked together for two years. And the geologist taught Floyd a little bit about geology, too. And this helped fuel his belief that what they were dealing with, again, was this interconnected system of caves. So his mom, Martha, died in 1915 of tuberculosis. His father remarried. Family worked their farm. But, but Floyd did not want to be a farmer. He wanted to explore caves and talk about caves and be in caves and look for new caves. His father was not really super approving of this either. So in the winter of 1917, Floyd found what he thought was to be an entrance to a brand new cave. Oh. And being smart about it, he goes to his dad ahead of time and he's like, hey, man, so hypothetically speaking, if I were to have found a cave on our property, what if we split the profits from that and say that we own it together? And his dad's like, yeah, sure, whatever, kid. So what he found was the entrance to a absolutely stunning cave. And we'll, we'll have to put some pictures on our Instagram because it's, it's a really beautiful and unique cave. Became known nice. as the Crystal Cave. 
Ooh. And Floyd had so many hopes for it. They opened it up for visitors in 1918, but they struggled making any actual profit from it because it was too far off the beaten path, right? Mm-hmm. And 1918, what else was going on in 1918? There was a couple big things going on in 1918. World War I. World War I being a huge thing that was going on in 1918, and that actually led to restriction of traveling. Also, at the end of 1918, what was going on? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, a global pandemic. Oh, I should have known that. Shoot. The 1918 flu pandemic. So, you know, visitors aren't plentiful. Uh, but those that do come, who is their tour guide but Floyd? And he's so stoked, so enthusiastic. Everything uh, I read about him was that, you know, he was primarily kind of a loner. Mm-hmm. Not really super sociable, quiet. Like, he was close to some of his brothers and his sister and his stepmom. But caves, he just shone. And he would light up when he talked about them. It's kind of like my face when I'm talking about murder. <laughs> That's the perfect analogy. I know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. So time passes. 1924. Of his uh, seven other siblings, the only ones still alive or living in the area are Homer, his younger sibling, Marshall, and his sister Nellie. And Nellie struggled with mental health issues. In fact, she'd recently been in an asylum. His father is like, all right, I've had enough of this. This cave is not profitable. Uh, I think we should sell it. And Floyd's like, no, I disagree that we should sell it. And this is something they fought bitterly about. But Floyd had also been listening to kind of where the tide was turning to because there was a lot of talk that this area was going to be converted into a national park. Oh. Which means selling it to the government, hell of a lot more profitable than selling it to some rando off the street. Sure. And Floyd is determined he is going to find another profitable cave one that would be right on that main road so he's out searching and he figures out one but it's not on his land it's on a property owned by beasley doyle often seen uh in news reports as b doyle great name this cave which would become known as sand cave it's great location right off cave city road that's what the road's called cave city road that's awesome It's en route to the big cave, like Mammoth. It is a prime spot. Uh, Anyone who's going to Mammoth Caves, they're going to be passing by, and they would stop and check it out. So he talks to Beasley Doyle. There was a few other property owners he was talking to, and they agreed, yes, if you can find a cave and you can make this work, we will split profits. That sounds fair. Not bad. So he'd found this hole, and he'd been steadily clearing the entrance to make it accessible. Recently, he'd used some explosives to kind of help further clear it out. But it's not a big opening. It's January 30th of 1925. Floyd is now 37 years old. It's about 10 a.m. in the morning. He sets off. He has a kerosene lamp and a rope. So the entrance is really tight. He sheds his heavier layer, his jacket, so he can wiggle his way in. Hard to go down. He has to crawl on his belly. He's got his arm in front of him, holding the lantern so he can still see. He is now 55 feet below the ground. Oh, dang. So he's about 125 feet from the entrance, but he's about 55 feet 
down. That's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. He's moving slowly, but he's moving steadily. But he notices that his lantern is flickering. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's bad. You don't want to be trapped down in a cave with no light. And remember the the comment you'd made about being lost in a cave? Mm-hmm. Well, he'd been lost in a cave before when his light went out, so he knew that was a bad thing. He decides he's going to turn back, but he's in a really tight section. So he's moving on his belly, and as he's moving forward, his foot hits a hanging rock, and it dislodges pinning his left foot and leg at the ankle. So he has a 27-pound rock on his ankle. Now, 27 pounds, that's actually not super heavy. That's like a medium-sized dog, right? But when you're wedged into this tiny, tiny, tight space and you can't move and you can't wiggle... In a desperate attempt to free himself, he's kicking out with his right foot, and this causes more rocks and more debris to fall on him, trapping his left foot as well as his right. He's pinned again in this tiny area. And uh, there was a book I read called Trapped, the story of Floyd Collins. It was by Robert Murray and Roger Brucker. Mm -hmm. And this is how they describe it. Floyd's head was lying towards the cave's entrance. He was reclining as if in a barber's chair, lying on his side at an angle of about 45 degrees. His left arm was partially pinned under him. His left cheek rested against the rock floor, and his right arm and hand were held close to his body by the crevice wall and the limestone boulder above. Entirely surrounded by rock and earth, Floyd was in a coffin-like straitjacket. His feet were pinned, his left hand and forearm could move only slightly, his right hand and arm were useless, and he could not roll over. Oh, no. Is anyone else feeling claustrophobic just hearing that? Yeah, no me gusta. I don't like this. And remember, on top of all this, it's dark. His lantern's out. This sounds like a straight-up nightmare. This sounds like, well, this actually has been more than one horror film. Mm-hmm. He's screaming until his voice gives out. It's cold. It's damp. He's not wearing a lot of clothing. But the more he tries to wiggle free, the worse it gets. But he's clinging to hope. People knew he was coming here. At some point, when he doesn't come back, someone is going to come looking for him. But as we said, this is not the first time Floyd has gotten lost in a cave. Disappearing for long chunks of time when he was exploring. That was pretty run-of-the-mill for him. There was an instance, as I mentioned, with his lantern going out. Uh, He was lost in the cave then for 18 hours. Another time, he was trapped after a rockfall, had to dig himself out. Which meant it was going to take a little longer, not just before anyone really noticed him gone, but before anyone took it seriously. Mm, And before they got, like, actually concerned. So it's now Friday night. It would not be until Saturday morning. Neighbors start to question, hey, man, anyone seen Floyd? So at this point, he's been in the cave for 24 hours. Oh, no. They head towards the location, and when they get there, they see his jacket hanging outside the entrance. So uh, the neighbor's 17-year-old son, Jewel, 
he heads inside because they figure he'll have the easiest time navigating, but he's not a caver. And again, it is a very, very tight squeeze. But he is not a caver. So he's, he's squeezing his way in here. He's calling out to Floyd, and he's close to turning back when he hears Floyd's response. So Jewel, he's trying to get to him. He never gets all the way. He can't get past the last squeeze, but he gets close enough to be able to talk to him. Floyd's cold, hungry, but remarkably calm and level-headed, and he explains his foot is trapped. He needs help. He asks Jewel to come closer, but Jewel's like, no. Jewel's ready to lose his mind. So Floyd says, all right, get my brothers. So his younger brother Homer is not at home, but his brother Marshall is. By the time Marshall gets there, word is spread. There's already about 25 other people also just waiting there to kind of see what's happening. Marshall heads in the cave with five others. He's the smallest of the brothers, but he also did not have Floyd's cave experience. So him and one other guy get ahead of the others, but when they get about 20 feet of where Floyd is, they can't find the entrance. They can't figure out where he is. So they finally do, but it's too narrow for any other men to fit. Oh, my gosh. Because when Floyd was trapped, it caved in a bit. So they try for three hours to try to get to him, and they don't have any luck. Now, Floyd's younger brother, Homer, he's driving home at this point. It's about 3.30 p.m. on Saturday. He stops to get gas, and the attendant asks if Floyd is out yet. What? Which, well, can we appreciate for a moment that the way news in a small town spreads completely <laughs> before the time of social media? Yep. Like, that's kind of awesome, right? So Homer rushes to the cave, gets there about 4 p.m., and next to Floyd, he is the brother with the most caving experience. So he heads in. But again, as he tries to go down to get to Floyd, he can't fit with all of his layers of clothes on. So he takes off his shoes, strips down to his underwear, and he is able to squeeze down to Floyd. So the lantern is lowered down. He catches his first glimpse of his brother. For the first time since he's been trapped too. Floyd's able to get some food, but he can't feed himself. Homer has to feed him. So Homer's trying to dig him, but it's really slow. And gravel moves and shifts every time he does. And he recognizes one of the big problems that's going to hinder the rescue effort. And again, I'm, I'm going to refer to Bruckner and Miller's book, uh, Trapped, to explain the situation. If a person came into the chute head first, he was forced to work upside down and was compelled upon leaving to push himself through feet first up the sharp slant and then backpedal 20 feet more before he could turn around. If he dropped in feet first, he could not bring the upper part of his body to Floyd's level without contorting himself into almost impossible positions. And I'm going to pull up right now a picture for Gabby to see, and we'll be putting this picture on our social media so you can get an appreciation of what it looked like for him trapped. In this picture, you can see Floyd, and that in order to get down to him, it's so narrow, and there's such a tiny, tiny area. Mm, I see it. You either have to move down, like slide down on your belly or slide down on your feet. You can't just crawl down. So Homer is tiring. He climbs out for a stretch. He goes back in to keep working. It's early, early Sunday morning. Floyd is cold and wet. 
They're really not making progress. People are coming to watch. They're not really helping. There's about 100 gathered now. And by Sunday evening, it's raining. Floyd is dangerously close to freezing to death, and Homer just sits with him. By Monday morning, reporter William Skeets Miller what arrived a name. on the scene. Well, so Skeets was a nickname. And I he was it. nicknamed Skeets because he was five foot five and 117 pounds. So the joke was he was barely bigger than a mosquito. Oh my god, I love it. I love the name Skeets. It's so cute. <laughs> so he worked for the Courier Journal for $25 a week, big bunny. Uh, remember, it's it's also it's early February. It's like 24 degrees outside. Skeets gets to the cave about 9 a.m. Monday. Homer, who had been up all night with Floyd, was just now emerging from the cave. And Miller walks up to him and asks, you know, how's your brother? Is he out? Is he still stuck? And Homer, who at this point is just done. (laughs) He's exhausted. He's stressed out. And he says to him, if you want information, there's the hole right there. You can go down and find out for yourself. Oh, how rude. I mean, give the guy a break. He's been sitting in a That's cramped true. cave with his trapped brother all night, and he's got a reporter bugging him. There's people around. Like, I don't blame him for being snippy. That's fair. Skeeter, though, doesn't take it personally. Skeets, excuse me. Skeet, though, doesn't take it personally. Uh, that's what he did. He put on coveralls. He heads inside. And because he is so small, he has an easier time navigating than a lot of the even more experienced cavers. But he has no practical experience when it comes to caving, and he was quickly overcome with fright. But he's determined. He reaches Floyd. He speaks to him briefly. He determines, uh, you know, Floyd was not in the best state of mind when he first went in to see him. But now he's hooked on this story, and he is determined to see Floyd get out. His accounts brought a lot of national attention to the case. Uh, The few articles that have been written up until this point are full of inaccuracies. That was something, man, some of the BS that's written and was written then, sorting through all of that was fun. Now, around noon, Lieutenant Robert Burden from the fire department, he shows up and he thinks that the best way to get Floyd out is to literally use a rope and yank him out. Oh, no. So they get a harness on him about 5 p.m. on Monday. Homer goes in, gives Floyd some food, gives him a sedative, hoping that, you know, that'll kind of help this whole process. They start to pull. It's not working. Floyd's crying. He's hollering. And he says, stop. I can't stand it. It's pulling me in two. Because his foot's trapped. His foot's trapped. And then he says, it's breaking my back. Stop them. Oh, God, stop them. Which, like, this is horrifying on multiple levels. Because you've got Floyd trapped in pain in distress you've got his brother who's just listening to this and and trying to figure out what what do i do do i make them keep going because i think this will get him out is this going to kill him so homer makes him stop and burton wants to keep pulling and homer's like no we're done we're not doing this so it's about 7 30 p.m when they get out crowd now again is about 200 people now enter Johnny Gerald. Johnny was a friend of Floyd's and an experienced caver. In fact, he was the first person Floyd asked for when he was trapped. But Johnny was out somewhere. And when Johnny first learned about Floyd being trapped, he dismissed it because he's like, oh, that's Floyd. He'll get himself out. 
he always does. Hmm. So it wasn't until a certain amount of time went by and he learned he was still trapped. He was like, okay, maybe this is serious. Sure. So he had the idea we have to, to widen access to him so we can get in. Because Johnny also is, it was not the smallest guy. He was having trouble fitting down there. So they're trying to clear out some of the rocks and the dirt around Floyd. It seems like maybe this could be promising. But it is really, really tiring work. You're literally just hauling dirt and rocks and gravel up a tiny space. So he's making headway, but it's not enough. And he can't reach Floyd below the knee. And ultimately, again, that's the big problem, his trapped foot. Floyd is encouraging him, though. Like, as Johnny goes to take another break, Floyd says to him, I can live here two weeks if someone will just feed me. I mean, so yeah. Johnny, yeah, you gotta have your lunch, your dinner, so Johnny, and your water. So Johnny needs to rest again. He leaves the cave. It's six thirty a.m. on Tuesday, February third. And beyond the logistics of him being trapped, one of the big problems is nobody really agrees on what the best course of action is. Mm. There's this growing distrust between the locals and the outsiders coming in. Um, Burden, the fireman, he thinks, you know, we got to try this rope. That's the best way to do it. But they're also concerned that yanking him, that his foot's trapped. Is this going to actually yank his foot off? Because the tissue there, yeah, the tissue there can be quite delicate. Uh, It's all those feet that wash up in the ocean, right? That's because of the, no, I'm not joking. Like the, 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 Anyone doesn't know there's this whole conspiracy theory about that there's like a serial killer who's leaving feet around, but it's it's uh, most likely it's just <laughs> cadavers in the ocean and the foot joint, you know, it loosens and it eventually ends up on store on the shore. Wouldn't there so, also be hands, though? Don't wrists do that, too? I think it has something to do with the shoes, but I don't know. Uh, I That's don't think fair. wrists are quite the same. Also, like the. The, I don't know, the joints are different. I'd have to, that's a whole other, any, anyway. Um, one of my favorite suggestions was the person that said Floyd should just untie his shoe. What? Yeah, that was one of the suggestions. Like, that's going to solve it, buddy. That's super helpful. Thank you. Um, but no one's in charge. There's no actual official rescue attempt underway. Nothing that's state sanctioned. It's just people coming and being like, we should try this. We should try this. So, of course, this is the perfect time for someone else to enter the scene. (laughs) Sure. Let's add more. Let's add more. Henry St. George Tucker Carmichael, which top-notch name. Oh, wonderful. I love that one. Yep. He's the general super at the Kentucky Rock Asphalt Company. He reads about this. He's like, wow, y'all need some leadership. (laughs) Hey, dudes, I'm a leader. Cool. He throws his hat in the ring, gets volunteers. Uh, He wants to focus on getting the upper part of the passageway clear to make it easier to go down. But he's also suggesting they should build a completely new shaft to try to get to him that way. That's not a bad idea, actually. It's not a bad idea, but, but here's the other problem. You're dealing with a very unstable cave, right? Right. If you are not careful, building another shaft could lead to the collapse of where he is. That's true. It's already falling apart around It's him. already falling apart. So they get to work continuing to try to clear more from the top. Poor Floyd, man. I, like, 
he, given everything happening, he was still mentally hanging on pretty well. He, he had some moments, but after getting food from one person, he says, you know, goodbye, I'll see you in heaven. So he's, he's, he's struggling a little, but he's trying to stay optimistic as much as he can. They're working really hard to try to get more of his body free. He does get a little bit more movement. And this is when Miller visits him again and, and actually gets this whole account that's published in the newspaper. You can find what he published online. It's really interesting. And Floyd says to him, how will it end? Will I get out or I couldn't think of it. I have faced death before. It don't frighten me none, but it's so long. Oh, God, be merciful. I want to tell everybody outside that I love every one of them, and I'm happy because so many are trying to help me. Tell them I'm not going to give up, that I'm going to fight and be patient and never forget them. You go out now, but don't leave me too long. I want you with me, and I'll keep helping all I can to move some of this rock. Oh, that's so sad. It's really sad. It's Tuesday evening. A new idea is being floated. And they think, all right, let's use a jack to try to lift the rock off of his leg. Which seems like, you know, that's a, that's a solid idea. The problem is finding the right size, and it's just mm. not working. And people moving in and out of an unstable cave, makes that doesn't it, make it, yeah. That makes it more unstable. Makes it more unstable. They're bringing in moisture. The temperature is rising from the bodies. It's not looking great. But again, no one can really agree on what the best course of action is. So Wednesday morning, February 4th, Floyd has been in the cave now for five days. As they're in checking on him, they notice cracks on the ceiling and that rocks are starting to come down. And Floyd is yelling, get a doctor. For the love of God, get a doctor and have him come in here and cut off my leg. Oh, damn. The men who had been going in to bring him food, they flee. And they can hear Floyd begging him to stay, begging them to not be left alone. But rock and debris, they're coming down. It's getting even more blocked. Johnny Gerald wants to keep going in, but he is very straightforward to anyone volunteering to go in with him. He said, quote, there's death down there. The walls and ceiling are crumbling. Unless you are determined to take the biggest chance you ever took in your life, tell me now and stay outside. Which I appreciate him being just very straightforward, very to the point. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to clear a path. They're not really making any progress. And Johnny goes in and he finds that there's been even more of a cave in access to Floyd is now completely cut off. Oh, so he's trying to clear this new blockage, but rocks are coming down on him. He's being hit with heavy debris he's forced out and once he gets out he says i would not go back in that darn place if they deed me the state of kentucky so thursday it's almost a full week from when he's been trapped the state finally steps in governor orders some national guard to go in to try rescue But with access to Floyd now blocked, it's decided the only option is to dig an entirely new shaft and go in next to him to try to get him out that way. But this is going to take time and you have to do it carefully. You can't use explosives, which is one of the really popular ways to try to clear something faster because that could cause more collapse. 
There's even concern using any of the the uh, fuel filled like power shovels that the exhaust from that would go into Floyd's cave and could suffocate oh, no. him. So they can't even use those. So they're they're digging with pickaxes and shovels. They don't get started until early Thursday afternoon, and by Friday night, they've gotten 17 feet down, and Floyd is 55 feet below ground. Damn. And they're still debating whether or not this is the best course of action. In fact, on Friday, Homer... His brother sneaks into the cave because he's trying to make contact with Floyd. He's calling, he's calling, and there's no response. And as he exits the cave, he cries that Floyd is dead. But there was nothing to back that up. He was just excruciatingly upset, understandably so. Sure. So they're digging. Saturday night, now they're down to 20 feet. In a full day, they've only made three feet of progress. But the crowd is growing. By Saturday, there's now... 2,000 people. Oh, my God. 2,000 people? 2,000 people. 400 cars on the road. 150 people from the media that ranged from reporters to people from movie studios to photographers. And again, a lot of what's being reported, not super accurate. His age is all over the map. Uh, Things that he said, people that know him, stories that are running, uh, a lot of them are, are not true. In fact... There were stories about a woman named Alma Clark saying that she was supposed to elope with Floyd and uh, that she gets to the cave and she faints saying, Floyd, my husband. Uh, they even they ran a picture of her in the paper and it was captioned, Miss Alma Clark, 22 years old, living eight miles from Cave City, was to have eloped with Floyd Collins Thursday. Instead, she went quietly to the shaft being sunk into Sand Cave and standing apart from the spectators, wept silently. Which, yes, that's very touching. It's complete BS. I was going to say, that is dramatic. It is dramatic. Uh, there was an Alma Clark. She, she lived nearby, uh, and she knew Floyd, like, the way you know your neighbors. But she was 17 and, like, looked at them as an old man. Like, they were in no way involved. And he had never really shown interest in women either. He was so focused on caving. As far as his family knew, there was never a girl he had had any serious consideration towards uh alma was not alone though others would pop up saying oh yes we've been involved with floyd but they were bogus sunday february 8th they're still working they're now down about 23 feet and the people keep coming because now there are 4500 automobiles lined up oh my god the estimates for how many people are there vary depending on the source. The low estimates put it somewhere around 10,000. The high estimates put it at 50,000 people. Dang. It's become a carnival. In fact, that's what it's referred to as, is the carnival. Um, there's, you know, food for sale, souvenirs, keepsakes. I, I guess the most popular item was a blue balloon that said Sand Cave on it. There's sermons going on. It is a spectacle and a half. But come Monday, things get even more interesting. Because now you've had all these people through and rumors are starting. Things are getting published in the papers saying, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't exactly how we think it is. Maybe it's a hoax. Oh, or maybe no. he's down there 
but he's leaving each night and he's doing this for publicity. Or he was murdered and this is some kind of weird cover up. Oh, media. Well, what's awesome is so like I'm reading this and I'm getting a little smug. I'm like, man, people in 1925, they believed this shit. And like as I'm reading this, an article pops out about, you know, the five G chip that I must now have in my arm because I'm vaccinated. And then I was like, oh, people yeah. still believe it these days. Pe- people believe this shit. They're conducting radio tests to try to see if they can find a heartbeat. And they're saying they can hear a heartbeat. Uh, There's a little debate as to whether or not that was actually happening. If they really did hear something or if they were trying to kind of boost the morale of the workers. Mm. Because people are losing hope. Like beyond these bogus theories, he has been trapped in that cave for about a week and a half almost. Um. By Wednesday, when they do the same radio test, too, they say they can't hear anything. Oh, no. And it starts raining. And it starts snowing. Oh, no. By Friday, February 13th, they do report they hear someone coughing. And they are actually getting a little closer. By 9 a.m. on Saturday, they're 54 feet down. Oh, that's close. By Monday, February 16th, They've been able to make it in. So they send in a man to see if he can see Floyd and determine his condition. And Skeets Miller would later write, for the next five minutes, those remaining in the shaft proper watched that hole without blinking. The rescuer gets to Floyd. And again, I'm going to read a little section from Trapped about what he saw. Only Floyd's head and part of his left arm were free. A steady stream of water was running onto his cheek, leaving a red mark. His left eye was closed. His right eye was slightly open. His mouth gaped at least an inch, revealing his gold tooth, and his face was bearded and dirty. Floyd Collins was dead. Oh, sad. Later examination uh, estimated he had died probably three days prior on Friday the 13th. The cause of death, starvation, exhaustion, and exposure to the elements. But I mean, even right there, that is a miracle. He was in that cave for two weeks. Like, that is, that is just, it blows my mind that he was able to survive for that long. And for given how long he was cut off from everybody. Um, the rescuers, they're determined to get his body out, but it's the same problems as before. Like his foot is still pinned and he is wedged so tightly in there. The cave is unstable and it's the middle of February. Oof, cold. Cold, wet, icy. The moisture is making the ground like they're worrying about it sinking. And officials determined that at this moment it is too dangerous to try and pull the body out, so they need to wait. They oh, hold a no. funeral at the mouth of the cave, and Homer writes, I kept thinking of Floyd lying in the muck where he had suffered beyond our power to imagine. I would never have peace of mind if he remained there. 
It took them two months, but they were able to finally go in to retrieve his body on April 23rd of 1925. And they buried him by his home. But the weirdness isn't over because he didn't remain buried there. Why? In 1927, his father sold Crystal Cave on his property. The new owners thought, hey, you know, it's an awesome idea. Let's dig up Floyd's body, put it in Crystal Caves as a tourist attraction. Neato. So they did. Oh, no. I have to add, though, like they made it a condition of the sale that they could do that. And his dad agreed. And that's just gross. That's awful. That is horrible. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. And the fact that they're treating it like a tourist attraction is just, it just makes me so angry. That's messed up. So his body is entombed in Crystal Cave. People come and visit and see it. It was stolen once in 1929. What? Yeah. Uh, the people that stole his body, they, they attempted to throw it into Kentucky's Green River, but it, it got like tangled in a bush or something. What? Yeah. So they found the body. They returned it to the cave and then they put a giant lock around his coffin, which is equally as messed up to me. Also, it was missing. It's the leg that had been pinned. Now that's missing. What? Where did it go? Presumably, maybe that made its way into the Green River. I don't know. Um, it Wait, be until- hold on. So it made its way all the way through his death, getting pinned under a rock being dug up and then reburied in the caves and then it got lost because some idiot tried to dump dump him in the river. Well, and what I don't know like was the motivation just to was it they didn't want him to be a tourist attraction anymore? Was it a prank? I also honestly, I don't know when they got him out, you know, he'd been in that cave for a couple months. I'm not sure the condition of his body or even just how there's no like graceful way to say this in getting him out if how well attached his like well no but just like how well attached it still was like maybe it was already kind of loose i don't know man i don't know there there was i didn't go i didn't spend as much time going down this rabbit hole because why because there's some questions you don't need answered that's that's fair i meant like why should you not like why didn't you yeah (laughs) Uh, it wouldn't be until March 24th of 1989 his family was finally able to get his body back and bury it. Uh, he now resides in the cemetery at the Mammoth Cave Baptist Church, and his tombstone oh, says, Greatest Cave Explorer Ever Known. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And actually, I like I would kind of like to visit his his final resting place, not in a disrespectful tourist way, but in just no. to, you know, in pay nice respects way. to Floyd. Because... You know, this was a huge news story at the time, and you have to appreciate, like, he did what he loved and uh, brought a lot of attention to the area. Um, but, man, this, this case hit me in the feels. This, this case hit me in the feels. But uh, let's talk some ghosts real quick. Ooh, Be- does he haunt it? Well, some accounts say that the ghost of Floyd might still be sticking around. Um Some of the reports I read were about people hearing his screams for help. So that's sad. But there were a couple reports that were a little different. Now, I I do want to emphasize these are tour guides talking about Mammoth Cave. Um, Sand Cave, where he he 
died uh, is not accessible. Um, people, a small handful of people, in fact, I believe the authors of the book I read had made the attempt to recreate kind of Floyd's journey. And they were like, Oh, hell no. (laughs) Um, they've sealed off the entrance. It's so hazardous. It's so dangerous. It is not something someone should attempt. So these tour guides are speaking specifically about mammoth cave, like a different section of it. Got it. Tour guide Colleen Olson is quoted as saying, sometimes people hear things, feel things, or see things they can't explain. There's one story that a caver told me that she was caving near part of the cave where Floyd, when he was alive, would go caving. And she tripped and she started to fall. And then she felt somebody grab her and pull her back. And of course, she thought it was her caving partner. So she was about to say, thanks, Richard, thanking her pal. But he was way on the other side. So then when she realized it wasn't Richard, she said, thanks, Floyd. Aw, so he's helping people. So I'm of two minds of this. On the one hand, like, I think it's absolutely adorable, this idea that the ghost of Floyd Collins is sticking around to help out other cavers, keep them safe, like a little guardian cave angel. I, I will <laughs> say... you said that was so cynical. <laughs> no, I, I, that wasn't me being an asshole, I swear. I think it's really oh, sweet. Okay. okay, never mind. Um, I think that's just my face. <laughs> Uh, no, my, the, the only thing I, I mean, this is how I always sort of feel when we talk about ghosts of certain areas, like the mammoth cave system is humongous. It's what 415 miles of caves. Um, and, and Floyd did used to like, these are areas he did go caving. So it, it isn't, I would rather think of him haunting areas he explored and was happy than like haunting where he died. That's true. But It is the thing we run into a lot where the most famous, the most renowned, the most well-known person associated with a spot, that is immediately who we assume any spirit is. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like, I, you know, I I love ghost stories like this because so many people, you run into people who are afraid of ghosts or who think they're so spooky. And I like the stories where they're being playful or they're helping, uh, and honestly, there's more stories like that than them being malicious or scary. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's kind of a bittersweet thing. Somebody who died doing something they love but wants to stick around like, and, and help others. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Um, there's some other reports in Mammoth Cave. I mean, again, it's massive. So uh, not all these spirits they think are Floyd. A website called prairieghost.com had accounts uh, from some Mammoth Cave rangers who have seen apparitions of people dressed in what is described as old-fashioned clothing. They are, yeah, they are apparently always seen near the back of groups and they disappear as people exit the cave. And there was even accounts of, this is kind of awesome, of tourists who would interrupt the rangers to ask about, like, who are those weirdos hanging out in the shadows? <laughs> Uh, another ranger said that she was shoved by something while leading a tour once. Um, there's another account that was submitted to ghostsandghouls.com and it said this, this July, 2018, my sister and I went on a tour in Mammoth Cave. I don't know why I'm making her sound this way, but it's fun for me. At one point, the ranger asked everyone to turn off or cover all light sources so we could see how dark the cave was. We did. (laughs) And I heard a woman's voice behind me. She was clearly upset about something. A moment later, a man behind me said, What the hell are you doing? Then I felt a hand 
move across my wrist and cover my watch for about two to three seconds. Later, when the light came back, my sister asked me if I had heard the commotion. She said that the woman claimed someone had grabbed her. I told my sister that I felt her hand touching my wrist. She swore she never touched me. We soon realized that something or someone touched that woman, that man, and me while the lights were off. Wow. You just got my heart rate going. (laughs) Also, Uh, I have a fun idea. I think we should go visit... (laughs) <laughs> this cave and do a tour and dress in old timey clothes and just hang out at the back of the just group to, just to mess with people <laughs> yes can we also like make our faces kind of pale well we're pacific northwesterners we're already, we're already pale, pale. We, don't, we don't see the sun and and make like weird obscure statements about back in my day in the 1800s i'm down for it yes um, that would be so fun we should do it we should totally do it but you know what's funny is this reminds me like Doing tours in the Seattle Underground, I've experienced as a tour guide, I've experienced some very similar things. I was grabbed once, too, by one of our handsier spirits. So um, this 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 story rang true for me. Uh, but sense. this, my friends, this is the story of, of Floyd Collins, um, the story that made Kim have feelings. And, and thanks for sticking with us with a little bit of a different story, although still a ghost story. We did yeah. still have a little, we came around with a ghost, but a, a little bit of a different kind of ghoulish story, but I think still one worth telling. I agree. And I'm, I'm actually curious when you did your um, deep dive, was there a source that had a list of like all the people that had died in that cave system? Anywhere? <gasps> um, well, no, because again, mammoth cave, like, you have to understand, like, there's Mammoth Cave System and there's all the caves that are a part of Mammoth Cave System. So it's not like it's one giant cave. It is sure. a a bunch of interconnected systems. So you're dealing with just, pardon my French, but a fuck ton of caves. So I was not... Sand Cave that, that Floyd was in, like, Floyd... That's the list because nobody, nobody else was like ballsy enough to try to get in there. Nobody, as far as we know, have ever discovered it. Um, but the 415 miles of other cave systems. There's got to be lots of dead people in there. There's I'm lots of saying. dead people. But there, no, the, this, the, the main book that I read focused specifically on Floyd's case. Um, right. And where it gave some, some really great history, uh, it... It was not looking at the, you know, it wasn't focusing on mammoth caves as a whole. Um, you can go to the, the, I think it's the National Park website. It has a lot of great info. But that's a whole other deep dive. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about, anytime you're talking about cavers, you're, people die caving. Um, like any activity, rock climbing, you know, mountain climbing. Um, it's, it's, I think one of those passions that if you have it, you're, you are, so devoted to it, but it, it, it comes with a lot of risk and that's maybe part of the appeal. I don't know. Uh, I've never, honestly, I'm just claustrophobic enough that the thought yeah, of no. wedging myself into no, a cave you. system, nope. no, thank you, octopus, hard but, no. uh, hard no. Um, but I, I admire that. I mean, when you, uh, and there's, there's lots of pictures, uh, from, from and around the cave, um, the, uh, authors of the book that that i read um trapped the story of floyd collins uh robert murray and roger brucker uh, one of them 
was like a pretty hardcore caver and they tried to recreate his journey and they were I think it was the first time anyone had been allowed in to try to do it since Floyd died and they were like dude <laughs> this wow. was uh although they believed that um because there there's a lot of people debate whether or not Floyd could have actually been rescued there's a lot of debate about it and from everything I've read I actually I don't think he could have been I don't think um I think we'd struggle today to try to get him out alive yeah but, i mean i would think that like if they had had a leader earlier on mm. like if if that leader guy i forgot his name but if he had like come around on like day one or two sure and had the idea to like do another entry love or entryway and like approach it earlier on it's it's possible if they tried to sink a shaft right away they would have gotten to him quicker Sure. Um, there's also what um, Rucker and, and Murray discovered when they were doing their own journey into the cave is they believe they, there would have been a way to continue uh, getting food to him, uh, which would have kept him alive for longer. But the exposure right. was still an issue. Right. What I kind of come back to, I, I think even if they sunk a shaft and got to him another way, it's the same reason they couldn't get his body out like for till two months later uh there was not a safe way to do it particularly with the weather right if it wasn't february if it wasn't wet if you didn't have the ground constantly shifting and one of the analogies i think it was in the book that they used was this idea of of um like if you're apple bobbing uh so as you're moving all this gravel and this dirt it's like bobbing for apples where immediately apples just move in when you pull one out, you know, mm-hmm. um, as they're pulling rocks and debris out, more is just coming in. So it's not helping the situation. It's making it worse. It's uh, you're, you're, you're fighting a losing battle where you're also, I mean, this is what the rescuers ran into also. Like they just got exhausted. It is. I don't know how many of y'all have tried to just like dig a hole when the, gr- well, no, I mean, but like, Beyond the fact we are a generation of people who do not do a lot of manual labor. Um, no. Digging where the ground is rocky, where the ground is wet, where the ground is frozen at points, where there's rock, where there's limestone. It's exhausting. That kind of manual yeah, labor is exhausting. We use bulldozers for a reason. <laughs> we use, you know, the digger tools for a reason. Um, doing all this by hand is not only extremely time consuming, but they... The bigger thing was just how worn out everyone was getting. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I it's there's a part of me that because even the idea of, of amputating his leg that wouldn't have been feasible. At least not again. No where one could he get there. Was nobody could to get to, or you'd have to you'd have to amputate it like around the femur bone, which is not only anytime you're amputating. Uh, above the knee this is a much more serious amputation and it's not just the amputation it's then getting him out of the cave when you see how narrow all the passageways are and then on top of that like amputating in that kind of filthy um like the infection possibilities him bleeding out before you get into the surface like i it's a losing battle. It's, it's exactly a losing what you battle. Said yeah. And and we've had 
instances in our more recent history with better technology and better tools available, we've had tragedies happen. Well, is the the um more recently Thai soccer team? For, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm I'm I'm. Um, this was just oh, I, I know what you're talking about. A few years ago, there was the they were trapped in a cave, and um, I mean again, miraculously, they they got most of the boys out uh i think they got all the boys out but didn't they lost uh one of the rescuers died so uh, you know even when you have all the resources at your disposal it just it can go so wrong and 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 again a rescuer died somebody who is trained for this that shows you just how dangerous these kinds of situations can be so i i think they they probably could have kept feeding Floyd. They could have kept uh, getting nourishment to him. And, and I think more importantly, company. Um, but do I think they oh, could yeah. have got... Yeah. Do I, do I think they could have gotten him out before he died of exposure, if nothing else? <sighs> I don't know. But the idea that, that maybe someone could have been there with him, because you think about being trapped down there for over a week... Um, not speaking to anyone. Water. He's probably getting water from the the stream of of. So he's that's and that's the only reason I'm sure he lived as long as he did was that he was still getting water. Yeah. But what that would do to you mentally, uh, and here oh, probably hearing them, them working too. You're hearing yeah. them working and and calling to them. Maybe I don't know. It's this this is why like I I I was doing some research yesterday before my rehearsal. And uh, my stage manager, I was, I was talking to her about it. I was like, I'm, this is, I, I, I had to take a break. I was getting really, really upset. Just, um, I can kind of compartmentalize when I'm reading about murders, uh, and look at it very academically, but this, this case, uh, this got to me a lot. So anyway, it's so interesting because I feel like we are so similar, but also so different in certain ways that like for this one, obviously I didn't do the research for it. So you went like way more deep than I did. I just got to sit here and listen to it. Uh, like all of our lovely listeners, but, um, I would think like, think like even hearing about, Oh yeah, I want to do a, a topic where about a guy that gets stuck in a cave, like, okay, cool. That sounds very interesting. But like, I didn't think there would be that much of an emotional response to it compared to some of the awful things that we have covered in the yeah. past where we're kind of unfazed by them. So I guess there is a there is a line that we cross from time to time that does get to us emotionally. <laughs> well, it's uh I think the trapped element doesn't help um and the amount of access we had to him in the beginning, the the first-hand accounts we have of things he said of of him talking to his family of his family's yeah, reactions like that if if he was trapped and it was an abstract nobody talked to him he was just trapped not that that's that's not better but like oh you're Maybe not hearing it, you can hear what he's saying like you, yeah. you have an account it's very similar to situations where we're like how do we know what actually happened in this book that was written about this thing if you don't have someone who was there where it was, we, where it happened to them. I think the, that's like a good example of like the Catherine Knight one where I was reading that book and I was like, wow, this is not a, a true account. This is definitely fake because like who would have, there's no evidence of this. The guy who would have told the story is dead. Like yeah. 
so it, it's just that you have, you know, the person who it actually happened to telling someone who lived yeah. what he was going through to be able to be put in a book for you to read for us to talk about that it makes it heavier for sure. It's uh yeah, no, this this one this one got to me a lot. I my cold dead heart had some feelings and we all know that Kim does not like having feelings. She works really hard to not have feelings, so damn it. <laughs> Good to know you're still alive with us though. Eh. Happy to have you. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yes. Sure. Always. Alright. <laughs> and this brings us to Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Uh, well, so, I, I feel like I've already plugged the, the book uh, an appropriate number of times, but I'm going to say it one more time. If you want to do a, a, a hella deep dive on Floyd Collins, um, then look at Trapped, the story of Floyd Collins, Robert K. Murray, and Roger Brucker. It was a great source of research for me. And on that same line... This was actually the first time I heard about Floyd Collins was because of this musical. There was a musical called Floyd Collins. It uh, came out, I think it opened off Broadway in, I think, 1996. But I first got the cast album uh, in the early 2000s. It actually has one of my all-time favorite musical theater songs on it, which is the song How Glory Goes. Which I mean, maybe this is why I was having so many feelings Um, in how glory goes. It's after it's the very last song of the show where he's trapped and he's dying and he knows he's going to die. And he sings all about what happens when you die. What's it like? And is it you know, is it is it warm? Do you see? Do you see? Will I see my mama? Will what's it like to look down on people? Um and it's a beautiful show. The music is is really interesting, really stunning, different. Um, so I, I recommend if if even if you're not a musical theater person, it's it's a really interesting piece of musical theater. It is it is worth checking out. It is just called Floyd Collins. Uh, I also I you know I watched a series called The Head. Ooh. I watched it on uh, HBO Max, and it's oh, cool. uh, it's all about. It's a limited series. It was six episodes, and it takes place at the South Pole, the Antarctic Research Station, and you start off where most of the station, you know, most of the station is leaving because they're about to have their their six months of winter where there's no mm-hmm. light. Mm-hmm. And they lose contact with the station. Oh, no. So you fast forward to the team coming back, including um, a guy who had left his wife there uh, because she was one of the researchers and finding some kind of tragedy had happened and trying to piece together what happened. And it's again, it's a six episode series. I I actually overall, I really enjoyed it. I will say and. I'm not going to spoil anything, but, and anyone who goes out and watches it, please message us with your thoughts because the, I will say the, the full on ending, there's, there's one twist that's really obvious. There's a twist that you're like, yeah, I saw this coming. And then there's a twist within the twist 
that I that actually made me question how much I actually liked the series because it oh, was no. che- it, no, it was it was a cheap twist. It was an M Night Shyamalan cheap twist. Uh, but up until that point, I thought it was really interesting. And you know, there's a killer. You're trying to figure out who the killer is. Uh, uh, so it's it's six episodes. It's worth a watch. But be aware if you're like me, the last like three minutes of it royally pissed me off. Um, and it, oh, no. it impacted my overall enjoyment of the series. I'm just going to put it there, but, but the show itself overall, I very much enjoyed. I plowed through it in almost no time, uh, while I was, uh, working last weekend. So that's what I've been watching. How about you, Gabby? I haven't heard of that. It sounds really interesting and it, I now want to watch it. It is quite interesting. And again, it's a quick watch. It, it really is. Uh, no, if you watch it, uh, let me know your thoughts overall and let me know your thoughts on the ending. That's, I, I really want to hear how other people dealt with the ending because I have I Now have I feel like I, I have to watch it so I can tell you. Like, that's my goal in watching it. Now I have to do it. All right. It's on nice. my to-do list. I'm excited, too, because I'm actually going home for a month. You are. In a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, home being L.A. to see my parents for the first time in a year and a half, which I'm very excited about. Yay. But that also means my mom's going to have to watch all the things that I'm watching, and she's not going to like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I might watch it, and you know, Steve might like it. <laughs> he likes the, he likes all the weird stuff that I like. Well, I will say this is a show when I I think I was on episode two. I texted my mom and I was like, "Add this to your list." So it's it's a it's definitely a parent approved show. It's not it's a mystery, um, and it's I would call it more of a dramatic thriller than anything else. It's it's not really horror or horror adjacent thriller. Sure, the murder mystery component. What exactly happened? Um, but it, it was a show that I was like, ah, oh, my folks would like this. Uh, that so sounds good. It's, it's, it's one like that him. I'd say is parent approved. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll watch it with my mom and then I'll make her tell you about it. How about that? I look forward to this and feel like we should have your mom come on to tell us how she feels about it. I'm not mad at that idea. Um, but we'll get to that at another time. Uh, but for me, things that I've been watching, I've been really, really excited that a new season of Shrill just came out on Hulu with AD Bryant. Um, it's so good. It's, it's like, I know this is the last season. Uh, so you know that they knew it was the last season when they wrote it. So it's really, really, really well written. Um, and there's one character in it who has just blossomed. I haven't gotten through the whole thing. I've seen three episodes so far, but they released the entire season on Hulu. And um, Joe Firestone is a comedian, and she actually, I don't know if you remember this from a long time ago, that I told you that I got a game called the or Punderdome, which if you all like puns the way I love puns, I know Kim hates puns, so she's not going to want to play this game. I don't hate puns. I just don't feel compelled to make everything into a pun like That's some people. Fair. <laughs> and, you know, I have a handful of very close friends who make everything puns, yeah. so they've just rubbed off on me, and then I am the result of the people that I am around. That's uh, fair. And the game is called Punderdome, but actually it... Joe Firestone and her dad came up with the game Punderdome, and that's how I found out about what this game was. So if you like a card game about puns, that's also not Creepy Critics Corner, but check it out. It's a really fun game. But Joe Firestone plays someone named Maureen in Shrill, 
And her character is the best fucking character in this whole show. And it's so funny. Like at one point, some guy sleeps over and he's just like really drunk and passed out on her bed. And she goes, I killed him. (laughs) (laughs) She just says something very inappropriate that killed him from um, what she did to him and legitimately thinks he's dead. And then he turns around and it just is a close up of her face with like a blood curdling scream. And then the, the episode ends. It's just like the comedy in it is just fantastic. And it's just really, really well done. Um, highly recommend Shrill. If you haven't seen it already, it's wonderful. And A.D. Bryant is a gem. I just absolutely love her. The cast is great. Uh, that's something I would nice. definitely recommend. And then I actually had Hulu recommend something to me. I love the little shorts that FXX has been putting out. Mm. They're like six minute long animated shorts for different like mm. topics. This one is called Black Death. And I was like, oh. I got to watch it. Yeah. I got to watch it. Right. Nice. So basically it's like. <laughs> you had me at death. Kim, you would love it. This is something you would actually really enjoy. Um, it's basically scenarios between people in like medieval times. Hmm. And it's animated and hmm. it's dealing with scenarios that people in modern time deal with, but put it into the environment of a medieval situation and make it very funny and comedic. And it's six minutes long for like each one. And so I watched hmm. like all of them in one sitting. Wonderful, very dark humored, very, very dark. Um, but if you like that kind of thing too. I've been on a comedy kick lately, uh, so that's Nothing wrong with that. that's where I've been hanging out. Um, and then I actually have uh, a fun announcement just to Ooh. dangle for all of our listeners that our next episode is going to have a very special guest, um, and I will just dangle that comedy is part of the inspiration between myself and this other person that we are having on the pod and I'm not going to tell you who it is you got to listen for it um we'll probably dangle more stuff leading up to it but yeah it's going to be a good time nice yeah so uh but Kim you also have I'm going to dangle your other podcast what's the podcast that you've been working on too uh, yes, I am working on another podcast. I think I've mentioned it once or twice before already, but it is called A Night in Question. It is a fictional podcast, but we are structuring it like a true crime podcast. Ooh. But then things start to get creepy. It's been really fun. I, you know, I I, I, I am an actor. I'm not sure how often I, <laughs> I say that on the podcast. It's been fun to, to be playing a character. Uh, and not just doing, you know, Kim Douthat Rees research. <laughs> so, uh, it, no, it's, 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 we, we are, um, the premise of it is, is three friends who are looking into, uh, a murder case from the nineties in Seattle. And the reason we start looking into it is because my character, Kate moved into the apartment where it took place. Ooh. That sounds cool. But there might be something supernatural happening behind it all. Dun, dun, dun. 
dun, dun, dun. But it, it's it's really fun. It's been a blast to work on. Um, Brian and and Buddy and uh, uh, Chris uh, and I have been have been working on putting this together, and we're up to I think by the time this episode airs, I believe. Episode six is where we're up to with an episode coming out every Wednesday. So you can find us at a night in question search for us wherever podcasts are and uh, check it out. Let us know what you think. Nice. Having said that, thanks for listening to this podcast. Uh, If you want to check out any of our other episodes, I know we have some new listeners, some new subscribers. So welcome to those that are new. Uh, Check out our Instagram. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We also have a website where all of our social media is, as well as all of our episodes, all of our show notes, you know, references, anything that we researched. It's ghoulishtendencies.com. We also have a Twitter. It is Ghoulish Podcast. And we have a Facebook page. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. The best one, save it to the end, is the Patreon. If you love what we do and you want to give us a little like high five through the internet and maybe like buy us a coffee or something, check out Patreon. Uh, There's some fun outtakes we're releasing more this week um, that are just bloopers. They're just great. (laughs) Truly, it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying, but also (laughs) awesome. And so that's a, a little bit of a dangle of what we offer on there. Anything you can donate, we're appreciative of. And if you can't donate, just go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when we have new episodes coming out. And, you know, we just appreciate you. So thanks for listening. And having said that, 